0: Well, Pastor Ben started out last week with a great story that's a story of every pastor's Monday morning. (laughs) It's no different for me that wondering as to what God would have me say today as we uh, come to his word and and how this story would relate to us. And so uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel. We're in kind of a three-year through the Bible gospel project um, as we're going through the Bible and seeing how it leads us uh, to God, leads us to Jesus. And with that, you know, our our Sunday school classes are doing the the same stories. Uh, We're working through very similar curriculum. But along the way, there will come up a passage where I just go, yeah, there's their outline, but that's not what I need to use this week, so that's what I'm doing today. But we are in 1 Samuel. But before we turn in there and before we read that text today, I have a few questions for you to think about As we get into this passage, and and, and maybe not just even think about it, maybe just across the top of your notes or whatever, if you're taking notes, jot down an answer, even if it's in a shorthand thing or a little symbol or something, and we'll come back to these questions a couple times throughout this message. The first question is this. If you could ask God for one thing, and knew that he would answer your prayer, what would you ask for? Good, but just jot it down. The second one, this, this makes it a little more personal. What's one thing in your life right now that is causing you the most pain? What is driving you to prayer more than anything else? And then take a deep breath on this one. What is God doing about it? 1 <laughs> Samuel chapter 1. Let's stand together as we hear God's Word. There was a certain man of Ramathiam, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up, Year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son." then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew, his, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man, Elkanah, and his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three year old bull and ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, they brought to the, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, "'O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives,' He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. This is the word of the Lord. infertility a rival wife a painful home life made worse by annually going to worship false accusations by a religious leader and a seemingly silent and absent god And even though Hannah's story ends well, let's not rush to the conclusion and miss her journey. Hannah's life was not easy. She was living in pain. And that pain had a clear source, maybe not to her, but the author tells us twice, Yahweh the Lord had closed her womb in verses 5 and 6. The author repeats it for emphasis. Hannah's painful relationship and disappointment had a divine cause. Does that trouble you? Bugs me. There's no way around it. It raises questions. We, we often believe that when anything bad or painful happens in our lives, it's simply the result of living in a fallen and broken world, and that's true. Or, or, or more boldly, we may assume that Satan's out to get us, and that is also true. But if life doesn't turn out the way we think it should, we assume there's a diabolical or fallen intent. But what if God is behind it? the Lord closed her womb. Notice the duration of this. So it went on year by year. Verse 7. Every time the family packed up and went to worship, the pain of Hannah's life was rubbed in her face. Worship made it worse. Wow. So, so here we have a person. Not only does God himself close her womb, that's what the text says, let's take it at face value, but the obedience of the family in worship increases the pain of her problem. God's the cause and obedience doesn't help. Wow, thanks. Go back to the second question I asked you today. What is the one thing in your life right now that's causing you the most pain? What is driving you to prayer more than anything else? And what is God doing about it? The text tells us it's a year-by-year problem, but it only gives us a glimpse into this. It gives us this one time where Hannah navigated this, and the time that she prays, the time that she comes completely broken and wounded in anguish and despair, and lays it all on the altar in prayer, her pain finally pushes her to prayer. But what about all the years before, and what about the prayers that maybe didn't get noticed, at least from her perspective Perhaps what we're reading here is her her at her breaking point, hitting rock bottom. She could no longer live with the pressure and the pain of the situation. If God doesn't step in, there's no other solution, no other path of healing, no other help. Her pain drives her to prayer, from pain to prayer. When life goes sideways and when things do not turn out the way we want, when the pain of life is crushing us, we have really three main options, I can tell. We can fight God, we can flee from Him, or we can trust. We can fight, we can shake our fists at God, attack His car- character, respond in anger and frustration, and then work harder to make life work the way we think it should, which often results in us harming ourselves and those around us, or, or, or we'll assume that if we just work harder, do more, serve more, give more, God will do what we want and we embrace a paganism, a view of God that believes God's actions are contingent on me and my works, doing the right things in the right order to the right amount to get the results I want. And in my fight to make life work, I make God just useful to me in my ends. Second option, we can run away. We can flee. We can pretend God just isn't interested. He's uninvolved in the world if he even exists. You know, it's sometimes easier to believe in an absent and an impotent God than one who could but isn't intervening, who is all-powerful but seems distant to my situation. God doesn't make sense, so we run away. We don't necessarily fight God, but we just ignore him or stop believing. Or we can come, as Hannah does, with trembling trust, expressing our pain in his presence and pleading for his response, neither fighting his purposes nor doubting his power or goodness, but staying in his presence with our pain, knowing that only he can do something about it. Hannah does what many of the psalmists do with their pain. She prays it. Her prayer is a lament. She acknowledges her pain. She expresses her brokenness. She trusts the God who is there. She presents herself under his sovereignty as your servant. She repeats it over and over. She's specific in her request. And she thoughtfully commits herself in the answer to God's care. And she keeps at it. She doesn't let up. Verse 12, she continued praying before the Lord. Interestingly, this is the first time in Scripture that the title Lord of hosts is used, Yahweh Tzabaoth. The Lord of the angel armies, the Lord of the the, the multitudes And it's used by the author first in verse 3, but it is first spoken by Hannah in verse 11. The God who is strong and powerful. And she is praying continually before the Lord. and, And I love how we can't really put this in English. It's to the face of the Lord. She's in God's face. Put it that way, she's in God's face constantly. Her pain pushes her and she keeps going to the face of the Lord. From pain to prayer, but then what happens? She moves from prayer to hope. She, she's there and she's praying and she, and and she's pouring out her heart to God, she's pouring out her anguish to God, and Eli sees her, and mistakenly thinks she's drunk. She's in distress, she's mouthing the word, she's praying from her heart, and Eli sees something out of the ordinary and jumps to a conclusion, but he's wrong. And after Hannah tells him what's on her heart, Eli announces a blessing, but he does it without much information, does he? She doesn't actually tell him what she's praying for, just that she's in distress and anxiety. And then Eli announces a blessing, and he does it without much information. Has no idea what she's been praying about. She didn't tell him. All she tells him is she's not drunk. She's simply praying out of her brokenness. And Eli's simple words spark hope in her heart. Go in peace. Now, it's not wishful thinking either. It's an imperative. It's a command. Go walk in shalom, wholeness, completeness, togetherness. Walk in fullness, he tells her. And God of Israel, may he grant the request that you have requested of him. And he doesn't even know what she's been praying about. But Eli's words affect her heart. She hears these words and hope is born in her heart in her distress, she couldn't eat or drink. But now she leaves to go and eat, and her face is changed. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Has anything changed in her life at this point? Nothing. God hasn't even spoken yet. In fact, God never speaks to her. There's nothing here other than Eli saying, go in peace and may God grant you your requests. But she's moved from pain to prayer and from prayer to hope. Something is awakened in her heart that doesn't need any more evidence or proof that God has heard and that he still cares and that he may yet respond. She goes and she rejoins the family in feasting and worship, and they return home. She becomes pregnant. God has answered. God has come through. Her pain is removed. But now her promise must be fulfilled, and her vow and her prayer comes into focus. Now she moves from hope to surrender. Surrender. Now, there's a lot of things in here, and there's so much in here we could have spent a lot of time comparing and contrasting the Samson birth announcement and, and Samuel's birth announcement. They're very similar in many regards. In contrast to Samson's birth story, God tells the parents about Samson's role and his Nazarite status. Samuel's mother sets him apart as a Nazarite before she even conceives. Verse 11. But in this we see that Hannah's hope is surrendered to the purpose of God. Her greatest pain will be healed if God would just provide a child a son. But in this, she surrenders her greatest hope for God's purposes. Indeed, will you indeed look on my affliction? Verse 11, remember me, don't forget your servant, but will Will you give your servant a son? Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So important truth here. Surrender precedes the miracle. Surrender precedes the miracle. Hannah's prayer from the very beginning acknowledges God's answer to her prayer as God's. He owns the answer. Hannah committed to giving before God provided. And then Hannah and Elkanah included faced a choice. A choice that according to Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, we won't go and read there. Uh, The Coles-Nodes version is this. If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and her husband hears about it, and he says nothing, then the vow is confirmed, or if he confirms it, then it's confirmed. But if he says, ah, that was kind of a foolish thing to, to do, then, then it all, the, the deal's off. So he could have at this moment said, that was kind of a rash vow, Hannah, so we're just gonna nullify that because I have Numbers chapter six as my basis. He could have nullified Hannah's vow to God. It was his choice as well to surrender the son of the wife he loved to the care and the service of God. He affirms the vow of Hannah and bears the cost of it as well. Just imagine the story from his perspective. We don't often look at his perspective in this story. But imagine the wife that you love has been living in agony and pain for years and years and the deepest longing of her heart is fulfilled and you have the power to change the situation. Samuel could stay with you and stay with mom. But you choose instead to honor her vow to the Lord. And mother and child will be separated after about two or three years. That's about the normal weaning period in this time period. Two to three years. Toddler. Someone you've come to love, probably very much. How painful would that be to surrender to God's purposes and the vow you have made? They move from hope to surrender. Look at verses 27 and 28 again. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. She could have stopped there. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Now it's a very odd word, lent, it's actually a word that's repeated four times in these verses, but it's invisible in any translation. It's hard to bring this across, but four times this word for to give, to lend, to borrow, to request. I prayed, My, the petition I made, and I have lent is all the same verb. But it changes meaning in verse 28. And here it means given or lent or borrowed to Yahweh. And it's an emphatic declaration that would read more literally. And also, I myself, I am declaring him given to Yahweh. All the days of his life, he is given to Yahweh. And in case the idea of Lent trips us up a little bit, that this might be temporary, the second line nullifies that. As long as he lives all the days of his life, he is lent to the Lord. You know, it's one thing to endure the pain of life as it just happens to us. It's a whole other thing to choose it. And then it's another thing to allow it to potentially get worse because you're surrendering the one thing that removed your pain. And we'll read later on that they have other sons and daughters, but right now they just have the one with no promise for more. And would that decrease the pain anyway? No. And did Hannah and Elkanah have any indication as to the future role and the vocation of Samuel? Not at all. There's no message from God. God doesn't speak until chapter three after they've left the story and and Samuel is in, in, in in the tabernacle and he hears the voice of God, but God is silent. They're surrendering their son to God's care without any assurance of his future. How hard is that? For any of us. From pain to prayer, from prayer to hope, from hope to surrender. And then what happens when she receives the miracle of God's provision and surrenders the answer completely to his care? She moves from surrender to worship. Surrender to worship. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Like Job after God speaks, like Abraham after God testing with Isaac, like the disciples after the resurrection, Hannah comes to a new knowledge and experience of God and her worship is Deepened, her heart is full, not because she has a child, but now she knows God in a way she never knew him before. Listen to those opening lines again. My heart exults in the Lord. Exult isn't a word we use often in everyday speech, do we? Exult with a U, not A. It's actually even rare in the Bible, it only occurs eight times, mostly in the Psalms. My heart exalts in the Lord. It's a deep emotional feeling of triumphant elation. Like when the Oilers win the cup. He's, he's not here. <laughs> exults. it's this deep triumphant feeling, yes, we've won. In the Lord. In the Lord. My horn, my strength is exalted. A common word means lifted up, established in the Lord. Contrast that with her earlier prayer. Her her experience of grief, vexation, defeat, her heart is changed. Notice her song says, nothing about Samuel. It is a song of praise for God's work and God's power and God's purposes and God's victory. She prayed her pain and she surrendered her dream. She experienced a deeper reality of God that deepened her worship. And she becomes involved in God's greater purposes. And her heart is taken up with God himself. John Piper, in expository exaltation, says this, the essence of worship is experiencing Christ as more gain than all life can give. Savoring Christ, treasuring Christ, being satisfied with Christ, this is the inner essence of worship. Well, a life of pain pushed Hannah to a life of prayerful surrender, and God answered her prayer, and Hannah followed through with a vow of surrender to God, and she experienced the greater joy of experiencing God and responding in worship. So circle back to those questions. What's the one thing in your life right now causing you the most pain? And what's driving you to prayer more than anything else? And then what's God doing about it? You know, I wish I could point to this story as a model that God uses consistently, but unfortunately I can't. 50 years of life, 25 years of pastoral ministry in Hebrews chapter 11, especially the last part of it, tell me that your story and mine may not end the same as Hannah's. We pray and our pain remains. We cry out to God and he seems content with the situation, nothing changes. And we're left with questions and maybe we never get answers. And there's pains that may never heal the sight of heaven. But there's an aspect of Hannah's story that I think is crucial to grasp. Hannah surrenders her dream before God provides relief from the pain. Maybe it's only when the pain of our lives drives us to draw near to God that we find that God's greater goal is far beyond our short-sightedness. What if in answering our prayer the way we want it answered, In relieving our pain, we would become content with the answer and not with the provider of the answer. What if in answering our prayer according to our expectations of what God should do for us, we would become satisfied with just getting something from God rather than experiencing God for who he is, regardless of what he may or may not do? What if what God most wants is not our temporal happiness in this life, but an eternal satisfaction of knowing Him, and the only way we will ever come to experience that is through the loss of lesser pleasures and treasures in this life? What if God leaves our hearts hungry and hurting so that we can recognize that He is the satisfaction and the healing we most need? And what if the painful journey of our lives is integral to God's greater purposes? Naomi's story doesn't end with Ruth and Boaz getting married. It ends with David the king. There's a greater purpose. Hannah's story doesn't end with Samuel. Her song ends with a prophetic word about the king, the Messiah that Samuel will anoint. David again. God's purposes in both stories are greater, but God used very painful realities in Hannah and Naomi's lives. Ruth and Boaz would never marry if, Hannah's, if Naomi's sons and husband had not died in Moab. Hannah's infertility, divinely purposed, brought her pain, but led her to surrender Samuel to God's greater purposes. Of course, we get to see that all in hindsight. They had to live through it, not knowing the greater story that God was telling. And so today, your pain may be immense, and you may be crying out for God to act, and you may be questioning God's purposes or his goodness, and none of us can see God's bigger picture. Your current pain and his sovereign and loving care may be serving a greater purpose than we may ever get to see this side of heaven. Jesus experienced the greatest pain imaginable when he hung on the cross, and it wasn't the nails. It wasn't the asphyxiation. It wasn't the whipping that left him bloodied and torn and unrecognizable. It was the absence of his father in the moment of his greatest pain. He quoted Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? God, I cry day by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I find no rest. Jesus felt the pain of abandonment, even though Jesus knew the purpose and the outcome. He knew he would rise again. He knew what was going on, and still he prayed, God, why have you left me? He still had to go through the pain, knowing the promise, knowing the purpose, did not lessen the pain of the journey he had to take. A phrase that gets repeated often in freedom session, the only way through the pain is through the pain. Would it really matter if you knew God's greater purposes? If we knew the why behind the pains we're experiencing, the challenges we're facing, the pain would still be real. The pain is real, but keep reading Psalm 22. Verses three to five. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and they were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Look what happens in these five verses. Expressions of the real pain of life and a deep sense of abandonment by God and yet, settled trust in God, a God who acted in history. Hope resides not in what might happen, but in what we know has happened. We trust God's character, who He is. In our times of pain and trouble, we cast ourselves on Him because we know He cares for us. The pain is not lessened. The troubles don't go away. But we look back on our lives, maybe. We hear the testimonies of others. We read our Bibles and the stories of the death, really painful journey that people like Hannah had to walk. And we find that God is faithful through it all. But we don't always get the answers. Job never got an answer. many didn't. The journey of Hannah went from pain to prayer, from prayer to hope, from hope to surrender, and from surrender to worship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you love us even when we don't see how or why or when life's not going nicely. When we resonate much more with Psalm 22, than we would care to admit. Lord, if there's one thing we maybe need to embrace more is that a lament is part of worship. Now one-third of the psalms are psalms of pain. The hymnal of Israel is filled with your people crying out for you to act in the midst of brokenness, dysfunction. And it's in the Psalms that we find honesty, emotion, questions, and hope. Lord, I pray for those that are just experiencing the trials in life right now that are just overwhelming. The Lord, they would be able to walk in shalom. And that you, God of Israel, would grant their requests. That you would fill them with hope. Even as they surrender to you. And that you would deepen our worship. Lord, thank you that you see every part of our lives. The painful stuff, the joyful stuff. And our pain breaks your heart. It grieves you deeply. Because this isn't the kind of life you created us to live. You created us to walk with you and with one another in perfect whole relationships. And Lord, our relationship with you is broken and our relationships with one another are shattered. And we need your restoration. The reconciliation that only you can bring and that you have secured for us on the cross. When you were separated from your Father, when you were broken, when you were abused, when you were beaten, when you were mocked, when you were scorned, when you were stripped naked for all to see, you made a way back to wholeness but it was through pain and brokenness. Father, would you be just ministering to hearts and lives today, whether in this room or or online, wherever people are. Thank you for the fact that you are the healer and the restorer, the reconciler. And Lord, we don't know how long it was before, between these times. How long it was before Hannah conceived. It's all in your time. Help us to surrender to you. Make our requests clear and specific. But also to just trust in you for the answer. And thank you for walking with us, and thank you that we can walk together in this. If anyone would like to come uh, during the closing song and just pray, the front pew here, elders will be available, and some others too. And we'll just pray with you. You don't have to tell us what's going on like Hannah didn't tell Eli. Eli. We'll just pray for you. So Lord, go with us in this week. May you heal our broken hearts. May we wait on you for your timing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.